of Matthew and uh, chapter 12. I uh, received a call this morning from Greg Johnston in Australia on some business, and he said this, this was at the co conclusion of their day, which would have been late uh, Sunday night, and uh, he said they had a tremendous day yesterday, had uh, ten people saved in the morning service, and uh, the place filled with new convert, keen-looking young couples, and he was just shouting the victory and praising God for what God's doing in Australia. Can you say amen? Matthew chapter 12. I want to minister this morning from a uh, passage of Scripture that uh, is, uh, uh, contains one, one portion of Scripture that uh, perhaps every pastor has from time to time had someone that has come to him and uh, said to him, uh, Pastor, can you tell me what the unpardonable sin is? I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. Or I think I have uh, sinned against the Holy Ghost. And so uh, they've come and asked, if, uh, what is the sin against the Holy Ghost? What is the unpardonable sin? And so this passage of Scripture contains uh, a statement that uh, is made there concerning uh, whether they've considered the, the, the uh, unpardonable sin or the, the, whether they've blasphemed the Holy Ghost. And let me say before I uh, even um, uh, begin to preach this morning uh, that uh, because the enemy, is, uh, he's, uh, he's really good at pulling out one portion and sticking that in your mind and using that to condemn you, that if you are con as, uh, convicted enough and concerned about to ask, you haven't done it. Amen. So I'll leave that lay as it is. If you are convicted enough and concerned enough about your own status uh, and, are, and are spiritually sensitive enough to be concerned about your own soul salvation, well, I want to declare to you this morning that you have not sinned against the Holy Ghost or you've not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. So we can lay that to rest before I start. But I want to minister, and uh, there's some interesting things to examine uh, this morning, and uh, I'd like to examine uh, uh, the passage of Scripture that we have in the 12th uh, chapter, the 22nd through the 32nd verses. I would like to read those uh, responsively. Uh, if, uh, if we could together, and I believe God will help us. I'll read verse 22. You read verse 23, uh, really with some enthusiasm, on through the 37th verse. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad.
And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Through the 37th verse. Go ahead. Either make the tree good... O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Amen. That's a tremendous passage of Scripture that we have before us this morning. I want to uh, examine with you a line of thought that is through this entire passage of Scripture because all through this passage of Scripture, Jesus deals with words. All that he's saying there, he follows clear on through the circumstances and the occasion that he's speaking, and he follows it clear on through and winds up with verse 37 and in through the entire Scripture that uh, we have examined this morning and, and read aloud and read responsibly, he's dealing with human speech and he's dealing with words and the peculiarities in the kingdom of God that have to do with those words. Now, he gives a warning here, and that would be well for us to uh, examine, first of all. And that warning is uh, concerning the danger of the words that you and I speak. Now, we, we are raised in a generation of words. Uh, when we're in our homes, we have radios or television sets. Uh, when we get into our automobiles, there's a radio and it comes on and music and words come. We see billboards along the highway that are declaring words to us by both picture and by uh, the human phrase. We, uh, we go on the job, there's a barrage of words. We, uh, we uh, uh, read the newspaper, we read the magazines, and our world is a world of words much more so than many generations uh, that have preceded us. And so we are flooded uh, every day with just a, just a barrage of words. And if we're not careful, we begin to lose a, a, an understanding of the importance and the potency of words. Uh, we just take for granted that words are just words and, 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 uh, and uh, they, they, just, they just go and they come. And so we'll lose an understanding of the potency and the power and the understanding of human speech. But here in this passage of Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ begins to deal with an event that transpired, and he begins to warn against the danger of losing an awareness of divine truth by our not paying attention to human speech. And he mentioned, this is where he mentioned that phrase of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, this came out of an occasion of his ministry. He's ministering, and as he's ministering, he's cast out a demon. And as he's cast out the demon and this uh, person is delivered, the scribes and the Pharisees, these very religious people that was, uh, were sitting and looking for something that they, could, uh, that they could detract from his ministry, said of the man, now they couldn't deny that the demon had been cast out. The visible effects were there. The man visibly showed the results of it. The man no doubt testified of the tremendous blessing and the people there perhaps heard the demons scream out and cry out or whatever visible manifestations were there and they knew and they saw and could not deny that the demon had been cast out. But they said this demon is not cast out 
But by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil, this man, Jesus Christ, has cast out this demon, and he's cast out this demon by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. He's a bad dude. This is where this came out of, and this is the circumstances and the occasion that we have to examine and deal with today. Now, to get a little feeling of exactly what he's talking about, we have to understand that the, the generation in which we, he lived did not have full understanding of the Holy Spirit like you and I have. And so he was speaking to them out of their Jewish setting and in their, in their understanding of the Jewish teaching. And if we explain that, it'll give you a little understanding. Because in the, uh, in the Jewish teaching, they said that the Holy Spirit had two supreme functions. First of all, he brought truth to man. This is a function of the Holy Spirit. He took God's truth, and he brought that uh, truth of God to man. Secondly, he gave man the faculty to recognize truth when he was confronted with it, and also to understand that truth. Now, when Jesus is speaking of this, he brings it out of the setting that is before him, and uh, as, uh, as the demon is cast out, the man is delivered. He shows visible effects uh, of the salvation of God and the power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I, if I with the finger of God cast out demons, uh, then no doubt the kingdom of God has come to you. But they said, he hasn't done this, uh, but this man does not have a right spirit. His spirit is an evil spirit, and he's cast out this demon by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. Now, out of that circumstance, Jesus then began to say to them, I want you to know that when you just simply speak against human beings, and that's the correct understanding of the Son of Man, he's using that in a, in a, in a, in a sense of someone who's ministering for God. When you speak against human beings, it will be forgiven you. But he said, I want you to know, do not speak against a work of God, for if you speak against the work of God, you are violating that divine God-given faculty that God gives you, that when you are confronted with truth, to recognize that truth and acknowledge that truth and understand that truth. And he said, if you don't do that, then you are in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, when we speak, listen carefully to me, against truth, this is what he's saying, we lose the ability to hear truth. This is what blasphemy is. It says in other places in the Scriptures that they blasphemed God, and what they're literally saying is that truth was declared to them, they were confronted with truth, they encountered truth, but because of their own preconceived notions, because of their own self-will, because of their own desires or their misconceptions, they themselves said when they were confronted with truth, this is not truth, I reject that. And Jesus said when you do that, when you speak against truth, you lose the ability to hear truth, and this is what it means to blaspheme. Now, as we consider this, we need to look at the text that he says. In the 33rd verse, he says to them, you're being inconsistent. Now, he says to them in this, uh, in this text, uh, he said, I need, to, need you to understand uh, that uh, looking into, into the common effects uh, of life. You need to understand that life itself teaches you, and a rational mind will teach you that you're being inconsistent and you're rejecting truth, and you have no grounds for rejecting it. And then he quoted this verse. 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. Then he reaches back into uh, reasoning, and he said, uh, The kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And uh, he said, Satan cannot cast out Satan. If he did, then his kingdom will be destroyed. And he said, it's impossible that Satan has cast out this demon because uh, he would be divided against himself and his kingdom could not stand. Not only this, but he said, look around you in your orchards, uh, in, your, in, your, in, your, uh, in your city. And he said, in those orchards, uh, you have trees. Now, if those trees bring forth good peaches and good apples, then you have to admit that those trees are good trees, and you cannot deny that. Now, he said also, if a good man out of the good treasure of his heart speaks good things, then the man has a good heart. But if he speaks forth evil things, he has there revealed his character, and that man is an evil man. And he said, you're not being rational, you're not being reasonable, you're being confronted with truth from God, and being confronted with the truth of God, you are in danger when you speak against God's truth, you are losing the capability and the faculty and the facility that God has given you to recognize truth and to understand truth. And when you you do that, you lose the ability to hear truth. You see, the scribes and Pharisees this morning, to give us a little more understanding, have been long deliberately blind. These people were religious people. They were as religious as you and I and far more so. They were very faithful in their, in their church attendance. They were very faithful in their rituals. They were very steadfast in this activity. But they had long been blind, willingly blind, and they had long been deaf, willingly deaf, unto the truth of God. And so when they're confronted with truth, they do not have the capability of understanding it, and they had lost the faculty of recognizing God when they were confronted with Him in the affairs of life. Now, it's a law of life this morning, hear me carefully, that we will hear only what we're listening for and only what we've fitted ourselves to hear. See, there are people sitting in this building this morning, you're only going to hear exactly what you want to hear. There's going to be people go out of this building and before the day is out or the week is out, someone will come to me and say to me, Now, Pastor, what, what, is, it, what, is, the, what is the unpardonable sin now? Do you think I've blasphemed against the Holy Ghost? That's all you're listening for. There are people here this morning that you're only going to hear exactly what you're listening for because it is a truth concerning life that we hear only what we're listening for and what we have fitted our ears to hear and we will reject everything else. And it is a human truth. And it is a fact of life that we will only hear what we're listening for because, beloved, if we are not open to truth, we will not hear truth, and when we speak against truth, we lose the ability to recognize truth. It's like a radio dial. When you get in the radio of your car or at your home and you turn that radio on, it has a frequency. And if you want to tune in on KYCA Prescott, it has to be tuned in to 1470. If you want to hear KNOT, you have to tune in to 1450. And if you tune in any other frequency, you will not hear those because those frequencies are the frequencies that will enable you to receive those broadcasts. So it is in the kingdom of God. You and I will not hear more truth than we want to hear. You and I will not hear truth at all 
unless our ears are open to truth, unless we are have with uh, that we have uh, attuned ourselves to hear the truth of God. And when we speak against truth, we lose the faculty entirely of receiving any truth at all. Now, having said that, we need to understand this morning that you have to do truth to know truth. In the daily affairs of our relationship with God, there has to be the cultivation of a sensitivity that we are going to hear God. We don't care what He's going to say to us. When we come into the assembly this morning, we come before God. We're not going to come with our own axes to grind. We're not going to come with our preconceived notion. We're not going to come, and all the time we're here, we're thinking about something else. But we come before God, and we say, God, this morning I'm going to worship you. I pray that you will speak to me through a testimony of a brother or a sister, through the message that the pastor preaches, through the words of the song, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit as, uh, as the anointing triggers revelation. God, speak to me this morning and give me something for myself. And if you come that way, you'll go from this building with your soul fed, blessed, anointed, happy, instructed, and you'll feel that the sermon was just for you. If you do not cultivate that sensitivity, if you do not have that faculty honed and keep it attuned, this morning you will come in and you will hear only what you have come to hear if it is de derogatory or detrimental or if it is across purposes. Whatever you've come to hear this morning, that's what you're going to hear when this service is finished. When we speak against truth, we lose the ability to hear truth. And this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in its final consummation. And so let me say in conclusion of this thought that sin, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is to often and consistently refuse the will of God. And having done that in the end, truth will not be recognized, though it's fully displayed before your eyes. Jesus said to these Pharisees and these scribes. You're not consistent. It's inconsistent with nature. It's inconsistent with spiritual principles. It's inconsistent with the kingdom of God. It's inconsistent with anything that's displayed in life. It's inconsistent with the condition of a person's heart. It's inconsistent with every rational reason that you can bring. You're being inconsistent. You're being faced with truth. And you said, this is not truth. This is, the, this is the, the devil. And he said, in doing that, you have blasphemed God and you've sealed your faith because by speaking against truth, you have lost the ability to hear truth. Secondly, I want to pass beyond the danger of our words to the defilement of our words. Now, there's an awful, uh, an awesome revelation that is found here. In this passage of Scripture, the Lord Jesus elevates human speech to the, to the level of the sacred. The reason he does that is he says in this passage of Scripture that the words that we speak are creative. They are not static. They are not simply words that speak and then they fall to the ground and they disappear. But all human speech is lifted to the level of the sacred because in all human speech there is a creative power either for good or for bad. It's in all human speech. Jesus said to his disciples, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now when he said that, he was speaking positively. 
He said, what I'm speaking to you are words of blessing, words of edification, words of righteousness, words of salvation, words of eternal redemption, words of help, words of encouragement, words of instruction, words of divine guidance. And he said, these words that I speak to you are words that are spirit and they are life and they are positively creating in you an effect. Now, the converse is true. That when you and I speak words that are not words of the, the, the divine direction, that are not words of encouragement, that are not words of instruction, that are not words of guidance, that are not words of blessing, the opposite is true. They also have a, a spiritual entity, but it is not a spiritual entity that brings blessing and uplifting and healing, but the effects of that go out, and it has a life, or it has a life entity, and it carries those words far beyond what we have spoken. It's like casting a rock into a, into a, into a pond. As you cast a rock into a, spa, in a pond, that, pond that, that rock will make a splash. Out of that initial splash will go ripples that will go out and every single part of that entire body of water will receive the reverberations and the movements of the water that have been started by that stone that was cast into it. In like manner this morning, when you and I speak words into situations, we affect powerfully the elements that are at work. We need to understand that. Words are lifted to the sacred. When we speak words into a situation, we affect the mental patterns of those to whom we're speaking. When we speak, we are speaking and affecting spiritual forces that are at work in the individuals that are involved. And so when we speak words into any situation, they are powerful words. These words have spirit and these words have life. Many a person I have talked with and counseled with that in a short few moments of time, some of them caught in the bondages of their own sin, some of them caught in problems of relationships, some of them caught in, in doctrinal error or whatever, I've seen in a few short minutes, by speaking the words of God's power and God's redemption, I've seen the powerful effects of the creative word that reached a human soul and affected the mental patterns and began to motivate the spiritual man and bring a complete change in that person because the words that we speak, their spirit and the words that we speak have a life entity that carry them far powerfully beyond our own lips. Our words actually are a creative force lifted to the sacred and to the divine. In the 30th verse of that scripture that we read in Matthew 12, he said these words, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers with me scatters abroad. Now when he says that, he says words are never neutral. He said, by your speaking, you have caused a tremendous effect and an awesome understanding and a realization that you either are for me or you are against me by the words that you speak. And he, Jesus said to these people, your words are not neutral. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering from me, depending on the words that you speak. Not only this, but to carry this a little further, we're told in the Scripture that somehow the angels of God are the guardians, they are the trustees, or they are the wardens of human speech, and that they themselves become involved in human speech, avenging and bringing human speech unto the correct aspect in, in life, either judging or bringing righteousness 
righteousness or vindicating the words that we speak from our lips. Hebrews talks about angels and says that every transgression and disobedience of the words that were spoken received a just recompense of reward. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a tremendous statement made in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, and it says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error for, for, for wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers' vanities, but fear thou God. Now here's an awesome revelation. This awesome revelation is, is that God is in attendance upon our words, and not only that, but the angels of God are actively involved in the words that we speak, bringing them to righteousness, bringing them to justice, and avenging every transgression of the words that we speak with our mouth, because the words that we speak are lifted, beloved, unto a sacred level. They are creative, they are spirit, and they are life. Can you say amen? Now, to bring this to an understanding, then we need to understand that our destiny this morning in life is determined by our words. And this is why Jesus used this tremendous statement concerning idle words. Idle words are not idle words. When you and I say, think about idleness, we're, talking, we're thinking about a bum that sits around and won't go to work. Can you say amen? That's our viewpoint. of That is not the meaning of this word at all. And uh, Bible students, you must go into the original language and begin to uh, uh, perceive uh, what is spoken. Jesus talks about idle words. And when he begins to talk about this in the, in the, in the defilement of the words that we speak, he begins to say to them, uh, I want you to understand that your words, your idle words, are not idle at all, but in, in, the, in the Albert Burns commentary, in the, in, the, in, the, in the margin, gives the correct understanding and substitutes for idle, pernicious words. Now we're beginning to get an understanding of what Jesus is talking about. How many of you know what pernicious anemia is? Well, I still missed you. Okay. That means it'll kill you. And so the word that he uses is the word pernicious. And he gives a warning concerning pernicious words. To give you a good, correct understanding, better, perhaps a little better, he says uh, uh, that it has this, these definitions or senses or tenses. It is highly injurious. It is destructive through evil. It is insidious. It is corrupting. It is undermining. It is malicious. And the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that corresponds to this is it means wicked and injurious or it's, uh, uh, such as false testimony against uh, a neighbor. So now we have the meaning of the idle words. 
Here then is the awesome revelation and the awesomeness of what we're talking about. Not only do these words have spirit and not only do they have life, but we need to understand that they can be deadly words that we speak. And the Scripture declares this morning that the words that we speak can kill faith. The words that we speak can kill respect for reputation. The words that we speak can kill hope. The words that we speak can kill encouragement. The words that we speak can absolutely destroy the human being to whom we're speaking. And so Jesus talks about pernicious words. And he says concerning these words, these words are not idle, and he gives the warning concerning pernicious words. Not only does he say, do they defile someone else, but we need to understand that pernicious words which we speak defile us. Now, this is not readily recognized, and I want you to stay with me very closely because it's very important. Your spiritual status and your spiritual uh, fire, your spiritual relationship, and all that you are in the spiritual man is dependent on your understanding this. Uh, the words that you speak uh, have to do with your own spiritual status. And not only the words that we speak are deadly to other people, but the words that we speak, if they're pernicious words, uh, are deadly to ourselves. James, the third chapter, and the seventh verse picks this up, and, uh, and I quote, And the tongue, the apostle says, is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. You see, this is what we've been talking about, is that our tongue, improperly used, not only ignites a fire outside and causes a world of sin outside, but it also releases a world of sin in us, and it defiles our entire personality, and it defiles our entire bodies. And he says this morning, uh, so is the tongue among our members. It defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. Now, follow me for a moment. When we speak against the truth, we not only lose the ability to hear the truth, but we lose the ability to do the truth. very interesting thing happened some time ago. Brother Larry Reed was here ministering on a Sunday evening. When he was here ministering on the Sunday, on the Sunday evening, he ministered one of the finest sermons I've heard him speak. He was on a particular line of thought. He was preaching particularly concerning homosexuality and perversion. But doing a part of the sermon when he spoke, he made a statement concerning the home. And as he made the statement concerning that home, he was caught up in preaching, and he was preaching that. And this was just a very minor statement about all that he was saying. People were saved that night. People were filled with the Holy Ghost that night. People were delivered that night. But no one heard any of the things that he said. No one heard anything that went on. Saw no one saved. Saw no one healed. Saw no one filled with the Holy Ghost. Saw no one encouraged or delivered. All they saw or heard was what they were listening for was Larry Reed's statement concerning a misunderstanding that wives can just throw their husbands out any time they want, which was not what he said, but that's what they were looking for. That's what they wanted to hear, and that's what they heard. People saved last week, and I'm going to go, well, never mind that. Larry Reed's a bad dude. People sitting in this congregation this morning serving God because of a sermon Larry Reed has preached at some year. Never mind that. Bad dude. This guy spoke, and uh, he made a bad statement. Ten years of revival in this building. People saved beyond anything that anyone would ever dream, and the lines of revival going out over all the... Never mind. That's bad. This is a bad place to be. Larry Reed made a bad statement. 
You see, when you speak against truth, you lose the ability to do truth. You like that? I got more. I'm not through. Titus hammers this down for us in Titus chapter 1. And he says, Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled, listen to me, there's the same word coming back again. And unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate. What that literally is saying is these people will not hear the truth. They're looking for something, and they're twisting that, and unto every good work they have no good judgment. They'll not judge a good work on its own merit. They want to judge it on their own life and on their own heart condition. You see, when you and I speak against the truth, we defile our own spiritual faculties because human speech is at the center of the nervous system and it affects everything that we are. It is impossible for you to speak a word because human speech is a faculty that is at the center of the human nervous system and the moment that we speak, our entire nervous system and spiritual faculty go to work in line with and in alliance with what comes out of our mouth. Whether good, bad, true, false, or indifferent, it, our entire system goes to work. And this is why the Bible says that when we speak words that are pernicious words, we defile ourselves. Proverbs says this morning, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You see, words are not cheap. Someone says, sticks and stones shall break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. I beg to differ with you. Words can destroy your very faith. Words are cheap. Oh, no. Words are the most expensive commodity that you and I are involved with. The words that we speak are the most expensive things and the most valuable things that God has placed in our being. If we speak them unto eternal glory, there's a world of reward and wealth. If we speak them perniciously, we will bear the fruits in our own being of the words that we speak because it is impossible that we'll go beyond when we speak truth uh, against truth, we lose the ability to hear truth. When we speak against truth, we lose the ability to do truth. I want to bring this to conclusion by examining for a moment the eternal consequences of words. There's always been defectors in church. You needn't be surprised that people rise up and begin to say bad things or try to do, to do derogatory work against the church of Jesus Christ. It's as old as history. It's nothing new. And as long as the church is, is uh, standing until Jesus comes, uh, there will be defectors and detractors in the church of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of Hymenius and Alexander in his day. And he said, their words, these two men, eat as a canker. They're, it's malignant. It kills spiritual life. And he says, incidentally, I've delivered these two dudes unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Here's that word again that they may learn not to speak against the truth of God. Listen carefully where I'm going for a moment this morning. I'm talking about eternal consequences of our speech. We know that it's around because he writes to Timothy in Timothy 5.13, and he says, These people learn to be idle, here's that word again, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also. That is, their gossips, their busybodies, they're meddling in other people's affairs. They're speaking things which they ought not to speak. 
And then in Romans 16, 17, the Apostle Paul says, I want you believers to mark them that cause divisions among you, and I want you to separate yourselves from them. Did you hear what I said? He said, I want you to put a mark on them in your mind when you hear someone that is speaking against the truth of God that you have seen and you are experiencing and you're seeing the visible effects of. I want you to put a mark on them in your mind and I want you to avoid them. I want you to stay away from them. This was Paul's instruction to the church. So we know that detractors and, bl and blasphemers and defectors and etc. Nothing new. There's old of the church. But here's what I really want you to see this morning and this will give you some tremendous insight and this is going to bless you. Here's the awful consequences of eternity. He says these words, look at it, every idle word, verse 37, you're going to give account of in the day of judgment. He says, by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you're going to be condemned. Proverbs 18:17 says, a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Now, over in the book of Revelation, there's an interesting statement made that's puzzled me for a number of years, and I never fully understood it until yesterday when I was searching this out, and the Lord moved upon me, and let me quote it to you. He's talking about those that are outside heaven. They've missed heaven as their home. And he says outside heaven, and he names a bunch of people, uh, that uh, whoremongers and adulterers, etc. And then he says these tremendous words, and are whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Now, literally translated, that's everyone who loves and deals in falsehood or untruth, error, and deception. Now, let me bring this to an understanding concerning every idle word, and this is why we'll give an account of in the day of judgment. When you and I repeat statements that are untrue, they may not have originated from us, but we become as guilty as the person that started the lie. Because we are those that loveth and maketh a lie. That word maketh has to do with doing merchandise in it, deals in it, in falsehood, untruth, error, and deception, and makes it a part of the daily life. When you and I give words to unverified facts that we ourselves do not know, now listen carefully to what I'm saying. See, there's a lot of people. I've had probably five people come to me in the last week and a half, and they've said to me, uh, they're reaching into things they don't know anything about, had no association or dealing with, and they've heard that this and that happened or this and that happened because so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so has said so, and they've had this mouth out and told to, which are absolutely untrue, were not, a, were not what happened at all, but they're picking up what someone else has said, and they're, they've mouthed that out. They've heard it not from the people that, that told the lie to begin with, but they've heard it passed from hand to hand and are repeating it verbatim and are accepting it as a fact that that's the way it was when it wasn't that way at all. Now, when you and I deal in unverified facts and we begin to speak those facts out, we are embracing a lie and we become as guilty as the man or the woman that tells the lie and God will judge us accordingly. I received a letter this past week with anonymous letter. You know what anonymous letters are? These are people that are afraid to sign their name wasn't against me. We had nothing to do with me. It was about a, a, an official, a leader in our community. And in this letter, there were all kinds of vile charges and unclean charges about a number of things and all kinds of deeds and activities. And when they got through, they would not sign their name. 
I put the letter in the file, and I haven't told a living soul anything that was in that letter because I do not know whether those facts are true or whether those facts are not true. It has nothing to do with this church. I'm talking about an individual that's in our community. He's not even saved. But that does not matter. The man has a life, he has a reputation, and he has a job, and he has a position, and I don't know whether those facts are true or not, and until I know those facts are true, it's not my business to repeat what I read in an anonymous letter. Because if I do, then I become as guilty, I have assailed that person's uh, reputation, I've assaulted that man's personality, I have told things uh, that may be twisted or may be bent, and there may be an element of truth uh, to what is there, but the outcome of that which is stated will destroy that man's life and destroy that man's reputation, and I will not become guilty of passing on that which someone else has said, which I cannot verify and which I cannot substantiate as being truth. Now, in the Old Testament, we remember, we, we, we read the words that the Old Testament uh, parallel for the word idol meant he that bears false witness against his brother. People who believe and who repeat lies are guilty of that lie. And this is what Jesus was saying. Every idle word that you speak, you're going to give account of in the day of, G of judgment. And he said, that which is spoken in the ear, in the closet, I'm going to shout from the house. You may whisper it in the ear, in the closet, and say, did you know about so-and-so? No, I didn't hear that. Nobody may hear you, but Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take that, I'm going to stand on the housetop, as it were, figure it be, and I'm going to shout it, and I'm going to say, did you know that so-and-so said that? You see, we're talking about the eternal consequences of words, and so here comes the good part. Here's why the Apostle Paul says, let your speech be with grace, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Now, that's a tremendous statement. What does he mean, let your speech be with grace? What he's talking about, he's saying, let your speech be speech that is of redemption. Let it be of forgiveness. Let it be of love. Let it be of encouraging. Let it be of strengthening. Let it be of guidance. Let it be of eternal hope. Let it be of blessing. Let your speech be, see it, be with grace. That's what he's saying. And then he makes this tremendous statement. And let it be seasoned with salt. Brother Johnson preached that masterpiece concerning salt, which I'm sorry I didn't hear all of it because of the goings and comings of the business of the day. But in that he did speak, and I heard this much of it, he spoke of the purifying effects of salt. Salt is a purifying, has a purifying quality. It will keep from spoiling. Not only that, but salt has a healing quality in it. And so... At the very least, the apostle is saying by the Holy Spirit, let your words be words that purify those that you speak to, not defile them. Let your words be words that purify your own soul, does not defile your own soul. Let your words be words that heal those that hear you, that heal their spiritual man, that brings spiritual health. Don't let it be that which brings disease and, health and, and, uh, and death. But I think it means more than that. And I remember our brother speaking. If you weren't there, I'll repeat for you for a moment that when the Hebrew nation brought their sacrifices under the altar to God, they were required by God to put a measure of salt upon the sacrifices that that sacrifice might become a sweet savor unto God. 
And so when the, the Apostle Paul is saying, let your words be seasoned with saw, he is literally saying, let your words be something that is consecrated to God. Let it be like a sacrifice. You know, when those people brought their sacrifices to God, they didn't just go out in the flock and catch any old slob that, was, uh, that had ticks and worms and, and all and crooked, crooked and, and broken-legged and dwarfed and just bring it into God. They chose carefully among their flocks. They chose out the best that they had, and they brought the most beautiful and the fattest and the most gracious, and they brought that to God and offered it up to God. Now, this is what I believe the apostle is really saying this morning. Let your words be like a sacrifice unto God. Examine them carefully. Realize and understand that when you speak those words, it is as if you are bringing your sacrifice into the very presence of God, and those words are going to affect the relationship that you have with God. And examine them with awesome reverence and with holy attitude. And when you speak your words, let them be as words that are spoken as something in the presence of God in worship. Let them be cleansing, let them be encouraging, let them be helping, let them be uplifting. You see, there are eternal consequences concerning the words that you and I speak. Those eternal consequences are that for every idle word, every pernicious, every deadly, every detrimental, every malignant, every undermining, every detracting, every deadly word that we speak, he says we're going to give an account of in the day of judgment. While our heads are bowed this morning and our hearts are open before God, Christians are praying and searching their hearts in the presence of the Lord. Words are powerful, powerful, powerful. As a matter of fact, the word for human speech is the word logo. That word literally means that what we speak with our mouth is the expression of our entire character and our personality. This is why when someone speaks, and Jesus said, you're going to know them by their fruits. Can an evil man bring forth good things, or can a good man bring forth evil things? He said, if you listen to a man's speech, you'll tell what kind of man he is. Before I got saved, I cursed something fierce. I mean, my mouth was filthy. It was blasphemous. It was ungodly. It was unholy. It was an embarrassment to man and society, much less women. But I want you to know that when I got saved, hallelujah, Jesus Christ did something within my heart and he changed the words that I speak and what I speak no longer is the character of filth and unrighteousness and ungodliness. Jesus is a deliverer from vile language. But getting back to our thought this morning, the scripture declares that this word for human speech is logo. It is the expression of our personality this morning. It's an expression of what we are, and we cannot escape it. If we are detrimental, if we are derogatory, if we are accusatory, if we attack uh, 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 the truth of God, if we are detracting to our neighbor, that's what we are. And you can't change it by saying, I go to church. That's what we are. If we deal with our mouths and our logo or our self-expression is, is mean, if it's hateful, if it's destructive, if it's destroying, if it's detracting, if it's ungodly, if it's unrighteous, if it tears people down, then that's what we are. And you cannot change it. 
But if we encourage, if we uplift, if we heal, if we bless, if we send everybody out from our presence after having talked to it, and they feel good, and they feel encouraged, and they feel uplifted, and their faith is strengthened, and their confidence in their fellow man is strengthened, then that's what we are. Jesus said this morning, Watch your words. Your words this morning are dangerous. Your words will defile not only others but yourself. And your words determine your own destiny in this life, but more than that, your words determine the life and the life to come. What a wonderful blessing God has given to us is that He sent us His Word. His word is a word of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his word, and his word said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. His word said, As many as come to him, he gives life. As many as believed on him, he gives the power to become the sons of God just by receiving him. His words are words of deliverance. His words deliver us from the power of darkness and translate us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. His words are words of forgiveness. He said if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's word is a word of grace and power to every guilty sinner, to every person discouraged, to every person beat down, to every person bound with habit. He speaks liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. God's word is a word of power, a word of grace, a word of deliverance, a word of healing, a word of love. While we're pausing for one moment this morning, there are people in this building. You're not saved. Can I tell you that simply by the words that I have spoken of the word of God and God's love and God's grace and a realization of your sin and you taking God at his word and you repeating from your mouth, for if we, the Scripture says, believe on Jesus Christ and repeat with our mouths that confession of our faith, we're saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In one tremendous transaction of you speaking what God has spoken and putting your faith and appropriating what God has spoken, you can be saved before you leave this building. while we're pausing for a moment in the presence of the Lord. There are people here that are not saved. There are people here that are backslidden. I want to bring you good news from the Word of God. God loves you this morning and will heal you in your soul and in your spirit before you leave this building. I wonder how many with uplifted hands would say to me before I change this service this morning, Pastor Mitchell, I'm not saved this morning. I don't fully understand everything that you said, but I do understand one thing. I need God. Would you pray for me this morning? Would you slip that hand up? This is between you and God, right where you're sitting, and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I'm not saved, but I really do want to get saved. I want Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you're a backslider this morning. You're away from God. This is your opportunity. Would you slip that hand up right where you're sitting? Man, woman, boy, or girl, say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I need God. Would you just slip it up right there all over the building? How many? How many there would there be? I see a hand down here. How many more will there be? Say, I'm a backslider. 
I've never been saved, but, Pastor, I want Jesus Christ to, to come into my life and come into my heart. Would you lift that hand right where you're sitting? God wants to help you this morning. He wants to touch your life. He wants to cleanse you of your sin. If you'll take that step, God will meet you where you are. He loves you. He's done everything that He can. He can do nothing else. And if you'll take this step, He'll finish the transaction and He'll bring blessing into your life. How many more will lift your hand and say to me, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I'm not saved. Or I'm backslidden, but I need God. I want Jesus as my Savior. Slip that hand up right there where you're seated and God's going to touch your heart. How many more will lift your hand? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I need God. I'm not saved. I'm a backslider. I see a hand back over here. How many more lift your hand right where you're seated? Say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I'm not saved. I'm a backslider. All over this building, Jesus Christ loves you this morning. Brought you to this service. Maybe you don't understand what you've heard. Maybe you don't understand the things that have been declared. Maybe you don't fully comprehend what you feel. You don't have to understand God to be saved. All you have to do is open your heart and receive Jesus Christ. And you can be saved right this morning before you leave this building. If you'll take that step, God will meet you. He'll meet you here. Would you lift that hand right where you are? How many more? Lift your hand. Say, Preacher, would you pray for me this morning? I need God. I'm not saved. I have no assurance of salvation. I have no assurance of sins forgiven, but I want that. Would you slip that hand up right where you're seated that I can see it? I can pray for you. This is between you and God. God is dealing with your heart. What you feel is the Spirit of God knocking at your heart. You've been confronted this morning with truth. God's dealing with you this morning. You've been confronted with truth. If you will speak the words of affirmation, God's going to heal your soul. He's going to save you. He's going to send you out here a whole person. Would you slip that hand up right where you're seated? Say, Preacher, pray for me this morning. I need God. All over the building. Amen. All over the building. Changing the appeal just a little. I've spoken this morning concerning the words that we speak. See, we as human beings are, especially in our generation, very careless with our words. We do not take seriously what God says about words. And if we repeat something we have no knowledge of, or we're repeating that as a fact, we're a second party. I was reading concerning an Arizona court trial this week, and one of the statements that was critical to the conviction of the guilty party was not allowed because it was hearsay. There was no first party that heard that. And it was thrown out of a human court, discounted as being credible and not bearing upon the case at all because it was a second party hearsay. No one from the first party actually saw or heard or could testify to the fact. When you and I pick up things that go floating through, and we mouth these things and uh, we repeat them as information that we're knowledgeable about. And we begin to be a, an agent of pernicious talking. We become guilty before God of the thing that we repeat. And God will hold you accountable and you will defile your own spiritual relationship and your own spiritual personality before God. There's many people here this morning that God is dealing with very heavily. I've spoken this in blessing. Remember, God says to you and I, here's the solution. 
Our solution is to speak the words of grace. Our solution is to let our words be seasoned with salt. Let them be as a sacrifice to God. Holy. Let them be healing. Let them be purifying. And there are people here this morning God's dealing with very heavily. And I'm speaking about eternal souls and the essential issues and spiritual business this morning. And there are people here this morning that are being agents of the devil. You're repeating things you have no knowledge of as if you're an authority upon those facts which are in fact not true. And God's dealing with you this morning and he's got his hand upon you and you're going to make a decision in this building this morning and the decision that you make, it may be very humbling to your pride, the decision that you make is going to determine very powerfully your future and you need to hear me carefully in what I'm saying. Your entire future is dependent upon your responding correctly to the Spirit of God that's wanting to bring you to repentance, to lay your hand on the sacrifice, as it were, and say, God, I did the deed, and I'll no longer be a party to the devil and the destruction of human families and personalities and spiritual standing and spiritual status. But God, I, I, I confess I've been a tool of detraction of pernicious, malignant, undermining, detrimental words that are having an effect. You see, you can tell how, what kind of effect it's having on you because you lose your joy, you lose your confidence in your fellow man, you lose your blessing, it gives you turmoil, it gives you trouble, and you can't concentrate on God, you can't worship God, you don't have any peace, and the blessing goes from your life. And you're going on in religious, uh, in religious activity, but it's gone. And the reason it's gone is because of what you're doing. But God will restore you this morning if you will take a step towards God. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, there's been hands lifted already, but there's many more that God's speaking to right now, and you want to come clean before God. You want to get your heart straight. You want to get your heart right. And you're going to start uh, cleansing your heart and being uh, straight before God. You will not be one who gives yourself to idle talk. I want you to lift your hands all over this building. God's convicting your heart. Amen. All over the building. This is critical to your future. I want you to slip your hand up. I want you to hold it. This is critical to your future. God's doing eternal business. And he's doing eternal business here this morning. And you're determining your future by what you're going to do. There are people here this morning that you have been guilty of passing destructive words that there's going to be eternal souls that are going to miss, the, miss heaven because of the words that you spoke. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, and he's talking about words again, it's better for you that a millstone was tied around your neck and you were cast into the middle of the sea. You'll die a better death that way than you will concerning the destruction of one of these little ones, innocent people that believe in me. Others God's dealing with, I want you to lift your hands while I'm talking this morning. God's convicted you. God's dealing with you. He's going to heal you this morning. He's going to set you free. He's going to cleanse you from the effects of your detrimental talk. Let me say this again this morning before I change the order of the service. That when you talk to people who leave you with that funky feeling, that means that you just feel awful. You feel like somebody opened up your head and poured a...